Welcome to Living Truth Radio. We're in the book of Genesis. Before we get there, though, our mission is to reach people, to equip the saved, and to reach the lost. And we need you to partner with us in prayer and in giving. So if you're part of our ongoing listening family, you've been benefiting from these broadcasts, would you go to livingtruthradio.org and donate to this ministry so that we can reach many more people. We want to reach as many people as possible, and you can help us with that today. livingtruthradio.org. Click on the donate button. So today in the book of Genesis, we're going to look at a, a really a controversial chapter. It's filled with a lot of messy stuff. Judah making bad decisions, his sons making bad decisions. But in the end, God is going to weave it together for good and produce from the tribe of Judah, the lion of the tribe of Judah. His name is Jesus. He's going to redeem it all. And we're going to find even Tamar, who's at the heart of the story in the very genealogy of the Messiah, Jesus Christ. Welcome to Living Truth Radio a ministry of Living Truth Christian Fellowship with Pastor Michael Lands. It's our goal to build up believers and to reach out with God's truth to all people. And now, here's Pastor Michael. Tonight, we are in Genesis 38. The title of the message is Judah Departed. I will give a warning. There is mature content tonight. So I'm looking around the room. I do not see any young ones here. Uh, so, but I just want to give you a heads up that there is some mature content. Okay, Judah departed, Genesis chapter 38. Let's go ahead and pray. Father, we are grateful to be together tonight. We're grateful to be able to sit before an inspired Bible, fiat nustas, breathed out by God and profitable for every area of life. This is a story that sometimes you could wonder if there's any redeeming value to it. But there is, and we're going to find some incredible nuggets in here tonight that you have put here for us to encourage us, to exhort us, to love and good deeds. We're here tonight because we want to know you better. So let all the distractions, all the weights, all the burdens that we brought into this place, Lord, melt away in the beauty of your presence and the majesty of your word. May you be pleased tonight with what we do. May our hearts be open to what you would speak to us individually and corporately. In Jesus' mighty name I pray, amen. Amen. Now, we've been moving moving through the book of Genesis, and we are in chapter 38. There's 50 chapters in the book of Genesis, so we're kind of in the home stretch, and the home stretch of the book focuses primarily on Joseph. However, there is one chapter that's inserted here that does not talk about Joseph. It talks about Judah. And uh, older commentators of the Bible actually were a little bit perplexed as to why this was here. They kind of called it an awkward insertion. Uh, We'll return to the story of Joseph next time we're together in the book of Genesis. But we'll focus on Judah, and Judah, of course, is one of the sons of Jacob. Judah, unlike Joseph, is not a heroic, Christ-like figure, at least not in this chapter. He is really the opposite. In many ways, he is a contrast to Joseph. Joseph will be faithful in Egypt, and Judah will be unfaithful in Canaan. Judah's name means praise, or I will praise the Lord. You can look at Genesis 29, 35, but what he does in this chapter is anything but praiseworthy. He is really a scoundrel in this chapter, 
And that's why some of the commentators have asked the question, you know, why is this here? But there is another character in this chapter, and it's, she's not in my title, but she probably should be, and her name is Tamar. And she is much more righteous than Judah, and she's going to have a significant role in this chapter, as we will see in a moment. This story, one writer says, is so unexpected that older critical commentators argued it was an awkward editorial insertion. But most today admit that its presence, uh, the presence of this unusual story was intentional and actually argue that it was placed here for special purposes. In fact, a close comparison of chapters 37 and 38 shows that they have many literary parallels, close quote. Now, when I say the name Judah, and you think about the significance of that name, what comes to mind for you? Jesus is the lion of the tribe of Judah. And there's, there's a scripture I want to take you to, and we're not going to move around too much tonight in uh, parallel passages, but I do want to take you to one, and it's all the way in Revelation 5. So go all the way to the, the back of your Bible, Revelation 5. I want to show you a scene that many of you are familiar with. It's the scene with this, the scroll in the hand of the Father, Revelation 5, pick it up with me at verse 3. Revelation 5, verse 3. The scroll is in the right hand of him who sat on the throne, and uh, there's a strong angel, verse 2, Revelation 5, proclaiming with a loud voice, who is worthy to open the scroll and to break its seals? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look into it. John says, our author of Revelation, I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. There's a universal search in heaven, earth, under the earth, but no one is found able. And one of the elders said to me, Revelation 5, 5, weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. Turn back to Genesis, if you would. Now, of all the conjecture of what the scroll represents, I think we're on safe ground to say that the scroll is probably the title deed to the earth. And there have been some scrolls that have been discovered, and some of them are in museums today, that have actually seven seals on them. And the seals could only be broken by the person who had authority to break them. And as the seals are broken in Revelation chapter 6, we can see the significance because as the seals are broken, the last day's plan of God can unfold. And John is wondering, can the earth really be redeemed? Can it be bought back if no one in this universal search is found worthy to open the scroll and to break its seals? But the lion of the tribe of Judah has overcome and he is able. And God's plan will move forward. And John is told, weep no more. This lion of the tribe of Judah has conquered. Now, Judah is one of the 12 sons of Jacob, as we have noted. And he will become the focus of this chapter. And here's what it says. It came about, Genesis 38.1, at that time. The time marker is these words. Just go back to the previous chapter. Look at uh, chapter 37. Look at the very end. It says, Meanwhile, the Midianites sold him in Egypt. Uh, Joseph had been sold by his brothers to the Midianites in Egypt to Potiphar, Pharaoh's officer, the captain of the bodyguard. So at that time, as a chronological note, 
And some people have questioned the chronology here and wonder if this is enough time for everything that's mentioned in this chapter to happen. I think it is, although I would admit it's a tight squeeze. And here, it's at that time that Judah departed from his brothers. At what time? Well, at the time that Joseph was sold into slavery by his brothers. Joseph will be in uh, Egypt for a 22-year period. From the sale of Joseph uh, and the departure of Jacob's family for Egypt, there's 13 years before Joseph's promotion to prime minister, followed by seven years of plenteous crops and two years of famine. So you have about a 22-year stretch until uh, Israel, the family of Israel, has to go to Egypt because of a famine. And that's when Joseph will be revealed to them that he's not dead, that he's actually risen to this incredible position in the land of Egypt. And God will use all of that. God will use what they intended for evil for good. But Judah at this time, notice in verse 1, chapter 38, at that time when Joseph was sold, Judah departed from his brothers and he visited or he turned aside to a certain Adulamite whose name was Hira. At that time when all of this had gone down, Judah departed. He took off and he went and hung out with this gentleman who is an Adulamite and his name is Hira. Now, in thinking about some application tonight, and we're going to see that Judah gets himself in some hot water and some trouble. Uh, one of the things that we tend to do sometimes when we make a big mistake, and I think Judah was feeling some conviction about what had happened. I mean, if you have a sibling or brother or sister, no matter how hard things get in your life, um, you still love them. We love our family members. We love our flesh and blood. Things can get hard, but we have a love for them. And I'm sure that there had to be a certain sense of conviction among the brothers including Judah, for what they had done. And when we make a huge mistake in life, sometimes what happens is we tend to depart. What I mean by that is we depart from our walk. When we make a huge error in life, maybe, maybe we've, we've, made a, we've had a mishap in judgment, we've done something stupid, we knew better, but for some reason we went with the flow or went with the crowd, we can kind of cause things to snowball in our lives. And instead of going back to God and getting close to God, we add more mistakes. So if you're there tonight, and you know maybe you've gone through something recently, and, and you're reeling from it, and you're kind of wondering, which way do I turn? You're at a fork in the road, as it were. The thing to do is always to go back to God. But here he departs from his brothers. I just want to make an application point. It may not be the specific context here, but when you depart from your brothers, and I'm going to make an application to your brothers and sisters in Christ, you always end up in trouble. We need fellowship as Christians. Sometimes we try to fly solo when we're having problems. Sometimes we don't want to be around people or we'll ignore fellowship. And I think that's always going to be a mistake. And so Judah departed from his brothers, 38.1, and he visited a certain Adulamite whose name was Hira. Judah probably didn't want to face his father. I mean, after all, they were going to have to go back, and they had uh, killed a goat and put the blood on the, that coat of many colors that Joseph had gotten from dad. And they were going to have to explain to dad what had happened, and maybe he didn't want to face father. I mean, you could imagine that that was a, a tough prospect because Joseph was certainly dad's favorite. And so he goes to this uh, man who's called an Adulamite. Just a side note for a reference, David departed from Gath from there and escaped to the cave of Adullam. 
Uh, when his brothers and all his father's household heard of it, they went down uh, there to him. The cave of Adullam is a place where David hid from Saul. It says, everyone, this is 1 Samuel 22, 2, who was in distress and everyone who was in debt and everyone who was discontented gathered to David and he became captain over them. Now there were about 400 men. That's 1 Samuel 22, 1 and 2. So we do have this cave of Adullam that's mentioned and this man is an Adullamite and here is uh, Judah and he uh, goes and spends time with him. We don't know what the relationship is. There seems to be some sort of friendship there. And Judah saw, verse 2, uh, Genesis 38, there a daughter of a certain Canaanite whose name was Shua. Shua means prosperity. And he took, he took her and he went into her. Now, if you have a New King James or an NIV, it says he married her. He saw her and he married her. Now, this word, this word for took her, if you have a New American Standard Bible, has a wide variety of meanings. It can mean that he married her. It's a Hebrew word called lokak. And it means uh, to reserve, to seize, to send for, to take, to use, to win, to get, to fetch. I can have the idea of being married. But Judah saw her and he married her. She was a certain woman. She was a, notice in verse two, she's described as a Canaanite. Now we know there's already been several warnings by the patriarchal family to the up and coming sons not to marry Canaanite women. Why were they told not to marry Canaanite women? Because Canaanite women had imbibed or embraced or worshiped the false gods of Canaan. They were polytheists. They were idol worshipers. And there's probably another reason, and that is that the Jewish line was supposed to be kept pure. But time and again, they got themselves trouble in, with, in trouble with Canaanite women. In fact, this was the downfall of uh, Esau. Esau uh, married some Canaanite women. And if you just make a note in your Bible and in your notes, if you look at Genesis 26, 34, and 35, the marriage that Esau had to Canaanite women negatively impacted mom and dad. It was a problem for the family. 2 Corinthians 6.14 says, don't be unequally yoked with what? An unbeliever. So there are people, and we can probably interview uh, many, many people in the church who have made a decision somewhere along the line that they could be in a relationship with an unbeliever, marry them, and they think it's gonna be okay. Some have called this missionary dating. Have you heard of missionary dating? Missionary dating is, I know that person's not a Christian, but they're cute. So I believe with my winsomeness and the spiritual prowess and powers that I have from Almighty God, even though I'm outside of his will by dating this person, that I can win them to the Lord. And so people enter into a relationship and look, you know, this primary idea has the idea of a partnership or a marriage, but if you're gonna date someone and you have a serious, uh, uh, you wanna go forward with them in some sort of serious relationship, I don't know why a Christian would be seeing an unbeliever. I just don't understand that. You're not coming from the, the, the right foundation to start off with. So Judah saw her, you could call this uh, verse two, lust at first sight. We've heard of love at first sight, but I'll tell you what, there's a lot of lust at first sight that goes on with people as well. 
And Judah saw her, certain Canaanite. Her name was Shua, prosperity. She looked good. Maybe there was some promise that went along with this. And he married her. I don't know how quickly the marriage took place, but it sounds like it was pretty quick. And all of a sudden, he is in this relationship. If you write down Genesis 24, 1 through 4, Abraham made his servant swear that he would not take a, a wife from the daughters of the Canaanites. That's 24.3. And Isaac called Jacob and blessed him in 28.1 and charged him and said to him, you shall not take a, a wife from the daughters of Canaan. Uh, we have a famous man in the Bible named Solomon who learned the hard way. His heart was turned away from the living God by his many foreign wives. We think we can do it. We think, well, that was Solomon, but we're talking me now. <laughs> oh, yeah? And we think, well, you know, I'll be able to lead this person. I, I was reading a commentary this week, and the writer said he had a, a case. A woman had come to him in the church. He's the pastor of the church. And she explained the relationship, and he said to her, don't go that direction. You cannot marry a non-Christian. Well, she went and married him, disappeared from the church, and the pastor said many, many years later, he saw her in a store, and she looked a bit haggard and beat up by life, and she said these words to the pastor, you were right. You know, I will tell you this, anybody who's ever warned somebody about going the right direction and not doing the wrong thing, we don't want to be right. We just want people to follow the right path. How many of you wish that you had someone in your life, maybe years ago, who held your feet to the fire, even if it was uncomfortable, before you made a dumb decision? Anybody? You know, I, I know for me, I grew up in a household where my mom had multiple marriages, so there wasn't always the stability of a, a male figure to really hold me accountable. It was not healthy. There weren't healthy relationships. And so some of you didn't have that. Some of us had it and we refused to listen anyway. But you know what? If you get godly counsel, you might want to pay attention to that instead of trying to find someone who will tell you what you want to hear. It's like you've heard the story of the guy who the doctor tells him, you, you got to get donuts out of your diet, man. Donuts are going to kill you. And so the, the guy's, you know, He's trying to deal with the temptation. He says, okay, Lord, here's the deal. If there's an open parking spot in front of the donut shop, I believe you want me to get a donut. And if not, then I won't get one. He said, after driving around the donut shop seven times, there was an open spot. So that, that had to be the Lord, right? So he marries Shua. And Shua, um, her, actually the daughter of Shua, and her name is actually Bathshua. Now, Bath is just the name for the daughter, daughter of. So Bathshua, we don't really know if, we don't actually have a record of her name, but uh, that's the best we can do. So she conceived, verse 3, and bore a son, and his name, he named him Ur. Ur means awake or watchful. Then she conceived again and bore a son and named him Onan. Onan means strong. And she bore still another son and named him Shelah. Shelah means petition or request. And it was at Chezib that she bore him. So all of a sudden, now you have a family. He marries this Canaanite lady. Three sons are born, and there's now a family from this relationship. And Judah uh, took a wife. Now, there's a lot of time that goes by. And just a side note, when you're reading your Bible, sometimes there's huge gaps, 
And the Bible does not attempt to, uh, you know, give you all the detail. This is, there's a, some time that went by. Now, Judah took a wife, same uh, word as in verse 2 for taking. He took a wife for Ur, his firstborn, and her name was Tamar. Tamar's name means palm. And so all of a sudden now, Ur has grown up, and a wife is chosen now by dad, Judah. But Ur, Judah's firstborn, was evil in the sight of the Lord. And here's one of your prickly verses for tonight. So the Lord took his life. The Lord took him out. The Lord killed him. I don't know what he did wrong, but suffice it to say, the Bible says he did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. What did Ur do and how did he die? We don't know. But we do know that he was wicked in the sight of the Lord, so the Lord put him to death. You can write down 1 Chronicles 2.3. This is where the saying comes from, to err is human. <laughs> what? Is that wrong? <laughs> err was evil. Err, I, I don't know. Yeah. So Judah said to Onan, son number two, go into your brother's wife and perform your duty as a brother-in-law to her and raise up offspring for your brother. So son number one, Ur is dead. And the cultural and Old Testament practice in this case was if a man died and left his wife without a child, the younger brother was to marry her. He could then raise up children in the name of his dead brother. In fact, the son that was born would be named after the dead brother. He would bear the name of the fallen brother. And so this is how things work. This is called the Leveret Law. And this is what it says. This is actually in the Law of Moses, the Leveret Law. It's spelled L-E-V-I-R-A-T-E. Lever means brother-in-law. So here's what it says. If you want to turn there, it's Deuteronomy 25, 5 and 6. When brothers live together and one of them dies and has no son, the wife of the deceased shall not be married outside the family to a strange man. Her husband's brother shall go into her and take her to himself as wife and perform the duty of a husband's brother to her. Deuteronomy 25, 6. And it shall be that the firstborn whom she bears shall assume the name of his dead brother, that his name may not be blotted out from Israel. Here's the idea. This was the way to continue the family line. If no child was born to that brother, then his name would cease. So the next brother in line was supposed to give a child to the, the wife and in essence to the brother. And that child would be considered the child of his dead brother. He would bear his name and he would have all the rights of the firstborn. So this is how they did it in the ancient days. They wanted to make sure they preserved family lines and this was all very important. And Onan knew that the offspring would not be his, verse 9, Genesis 38. So it came about that when he went into his brother's wife, he wasted his seed on the ground in order not to give offspring to his brother. Now, he had no problem sleeping with her, right? I mean, you would think if he, if he really didn't want to participate in this, and, and I think all of his reasons are selfish. His reasons are, I think he either wants the right of the inheritance himself or he doesn't want to give a child to the, to the brother. Whatever his reasons are, he sleeps with her, but then he does not perform his duty. And in this particular case, uh, 
he does not give offspring to his brother. This was a very bad career move, by the way, by Onan, because he did what was displeasing in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord killed him too. Brother number two, gone. Did not perform his duty to his brother, and therefore gone. Married her, was willing to sleep with her, but that's it. Now there's two strikes. Strike one, son number one, gone. Strike two, son number two, gone. And if you're dad, you think, well, I got one left, right? And this woman seems to be bad news. Do you remember in the New Testament, Jesus was told a story, and uh, this was told by the Sadducees who did not believe in the resurrection. They told a story about this woman who was married to seven different brothers. Remember that? And each brother has the woman, and each brother ends up dying. And then they say, okay, in the resurrection, who's she married to? Dun, 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 dun. We got him now. No, you don't. Jesus said, in the resurrection, they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but they are, keyword, like the angels. You don't become an angel when you go to heaven or in the resurrection here, but you are like the angels. In what sense? Well, your marriage seems to be only for this time. Your focus is now going to be on the Lord. In fact, the church is called the bride of Christ. And so uh, I will just say this, that uh, you know, people who have questions about sexual conduct and what persons can and can't do, they go to this particular Bible verse and they try to make cases for other things here. This is not a case for anything but a man who, do, who did not perform his duty. Hey, listening family, this is Pastor Michael, and we're at the end of another teaching, Genesis 38, which is filled with the good, the bad, and the ugly, and a lot of ugly here, a lot of a mess that God is going to weave together for good. But even though he weaves it together for good, there's consequences here, and this is how life works, and this is really how the Christian life works as well. When we do dumb stuff, our sin finds us out, and we often pay consequences. And even though God can work it together for good, it doesn't mean that there's not consequences. And right now, you may be saying, Pastor Michael, this is exactly where I am right now. My life is a mess. I've created a mess, and things have gone wrong and haywire, and I'm wondering if there's any hope and any way that this all can be redeemed. And I'll tell you what, the best thing that you and I can do when we find ourselves in a mess is turn to the Messiah and say, Jesus, I've made a mess of this, but I'm going to yield my life to you. I'm going to repent of this. I'm going to get my life right. And I'm going to go in your direction and trust you to clean this up as only you can. And that's the hope that we have as believers. And that's really the hope you have, my friend. If you're an unbeliever right now and your life is a mess, come to the Messiah because he entered into our mess. He entered into humanity to come and save us. He lived the perfect life that we could never live. He died on the cross as the perfect sacrifice. And he did it because he loves you and me, even in our mistakes and even in our faults and all the messes that we can create. Thank you for listening to today's program. If you'd like to listen to this message again, learn more about our church in Corona, or to access archived messages, go to livingtruthradio.org and click on the church tab. You can follow us on Instagram at livingtruthcorona or download the Living Truth Christian Fellowship app on Apple and Android devices. Living Truth Radio is a listener-supported ministry. 
You can partner with us by donating at livingtruthradio.org.